This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we were offering four conversations from episode 10, our discussion on pediatric and adolescent Naffold and Nash. Plus, from The Vault, conversation 15.3 from season three, in which Louise Campbell, Naeem Al-Khoury, Marcelo Kugelmas, and I discuss issues surrounding pediatric Naffold as they arose at the 2022 Chronic Liver Disease Foundation Conference. This conversation focuses on the costs and implications of inaction, or at very least, allowing treatments for this population to follow historical drug adoption. Paths. Louise Campbell notes that on average, it takes 17 years for clinical trial results to be fully realized in real-world settings, which would be calamitous in this case, given the likely impact on premature mortality and MACE among people who are children now, but will be in peak age group for events 17 years later. This leads the group to focus on the benefits of educating children and parents through their children. And Rohit Kohli to stress the value of including liver assessment on annual physical exams for adolescents. As the conversation winds down, Naeem Al-Khoury highlights recent studies that are helping the professional community appreciate the powerful downstream impact of fatty liver disease in these young populations more completely, which he anticipates will lead to increased demand for and focus on drug therapies for young patients when diet and exercise fail to work. One key point emerging from this episode is that the effects of the fatty liver pandemic will be with us far after we begin to implement new drug and lifestyle interventions for adult patients today. This is a big issue with far-reaching long-term implications. So sit back, listen, digest, enjoy. Enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. I'm going to be a bit controversial. On average, it takes 17 years from a clinical trial to implementation in the real world. So we're talking about pediatrics and children in a vastly rising condition called NAFLD, NASH, childhood obesity. You've already both yourself and Dr. Coley have stressed the cardiometabolic. Tracy Simon's evidence of one in 15 biopsy proven fatty liver, not fibrosis, was dead in 20 years. So they're mid 30s. Do we have to not take a leap of faith as an observational study in some of the NITs. I don't know what FAST does in children, but do we not need to take the initiative to generate data to try and save lives? Because on average, 17 years, these kids are going to die. Now, I have never fibroscanned a child with a parent in the room who's not immediately changed the diet when they've seen fatty liver on that child's fibroscan. So we don't do family scanning, for example, but the behavioural impact, I just wonder whether or not you've got experience Experience that behaviour and how it motivates change. I saw an 18-year-old last year. He was one of six Indian children. He was nearly 300 kilos. He was massive, but he was 18, diabetic, and on Fibroscan, his Fibroscan was in the 30s, and it was beyond measurable in CAP. So any intervention that needed to go in wasn't just him, it was the family. Mum does the cooking for the other six siblings. He was just the one presenting to the clinic. So The controversy is, do we start to do non-invasive clinical data collection to see whether or not it changes behaviour, even if it does not prove a clinical diagnosis? Rohit Kohli. So I can speak to that a little bit. We're doing that in one sense. Our protocol, we've published it a couple of different times, iterations of it, clinical protocol, includes a liver biopsy if we have not been successful in just lifestyle management and producing weight loss in someone who has elevated liver enzymes and is obese coming to our clinic. However, once we have established the diagnosis, we want to pair that with a non-invasive test. And that's where our fibroscan and our MR elastography 
come in. And I found just similar experiences with you that this is a family affair because at least early on from the 10 to 14 age group, the parents are the ones that own the grocery cart. However, if we don't involve the children at that age in the same discussions about eliminating sugar-sweetened drinks, it's never going to happen. So I think these things are societal. We started that discussion early on. And when you make an impact, it has to be to the family. This is a family affair. Louise has argued for roughly as long as I've known her that the long-term solution has to start in education and it has to start in the schools because if you educate the kids, ultimately that will trickle through to the parents, particularly where the kids have issues. Whereas if you start with the parents, A, you're going to miss the kids and B, the parents won't take it as seriously for themselves. We're audio, so no one can see how enthusiastically you're nodding, Rohit, really, so I'm going to mention that. Louise, A, did I get that right? Or right enough? And then B, I'd love for uh, colleagues to comment on that. You got it right. And I think from my perspective, going back to where we started cost-effectivity analysis, if we start to screen children, we do their educational assessments. We should be doing their health assessments as well regularly. If we start pre-screening children and include liver health in the conversation, then we may avoid cardiovascular disease. And then it becomes highly cost-effective to look earlier, not later, not looking at the cirrhosis level, but looking at the cardiometabolic and endocrine disease that comes out in these children. Therefore, we make it earlier in the timeline. We screen at an earlier age. I think it was Paris Nash or something. There was a Russian cardio uh, cardiologist on talking about the Russian system where they screen everybody at the age of 18. Then I think they intervene again in, at about the age of 35 and look where they've progressed to. So that's something that could be done because fatty liver, as we know, is the elephant in the room in cardiovascular disease, endocrine, obesity. It is now getting more of a, a role and recognition. For me, cost effectivity starts at looking at the children, maybe from the age of 10, unless there's a particular problem below then. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, actually, the Pediatric GI Society for North America, NASPGAN, we came out with guidelines that mirror what you're saying towards the end of your statement, which is once you are nine to 10 years of age and you're going to your primary care annual physical, you should be checked for your ALT level. And the normative value, which is yet another story of upper limit of normal for children is around 22-24. Therefore, if you are twice to three times, then you can debate which, whatever cutoff you want to use. But for me, if you're above 45, we need to pay attention to you. Are you per liter of ALT? That's great. And actually, I had two other items on my list, but Jorn, I want to know what you've been thinking since you've been uncharacteristically quiet. Jorn Schattenberg. Yeah, I, you know, I've followed the great discussion and presentations and again, not seeing pediatric NAFLD patients. I took back a little bit and my thoughts go to the NITs. I mean, I made a good point in highlighting all the limitations of the indirect fibrosis surrogate scores we're using. And he mentioned that there's some data on ELF. Um, I was wondering to ask about ProC3. Obviously, that's much earlier than ELF. It's not available for clinical routine. But I think the direct fibrosis markers might be something that's worthwhile looking at in pediatrics. Being well aware that you need the funding to do this type of research and there might not be as much interest in in, in looking at fibrosis because it's more early disease and, and metabolically burdened these kids have. That's why I asked Naeem about the outcomes. It does something to you if you have that information from early on in your liver and it might not mean you develop cirrhosis in all cases, but for sure it's the metabolic burden you start into life with is, you know, it might impact cancer and all these type of things. That's my way to look at it. Name al Yeah, and just to mention that, you know, there's some good work that's being done in the pediatric space, Louis. So the NASH Clinical Research Network sponsored by the NIH, they have a large pediatric cohort that has been followed longitudinally. And then there's something called Target NASH, and I know they included a pediatric cohort as 
well, trying to understand the natural history of the disease, who's at risk of significant fibrosis. In addition to genetics, family history is very telling, right? If your dad has F3 fibrosis and your grandma died from NAS cirrhosis, you are at high risk. And, you know, there was a paper by UCSD, Dr. Lumba and his group looking at first degree relatives of patients with NAS cirrhosis, uh, showing about 15, 17% will have advanced fibrosis. A lot uh, is being learned about this age group. I think when it comes to trial design, uh, my hope is that as we uh, dissect the phase uh, three data, uh, let's say with resmeterum with Madrigal, and we learn about correlation between reduction in MRI PDFF and ALT and histologic response, that we can extrapolate that to the pediatric population and continue to generate more data. I'm not saying it's going to be the end of development of NITs, but you know, if we know that in adults, if you reduce your liver fat by 30% from baseline and ALT by 17 units, you know, combined endpoint, that the chances of you achieving NASH resolution is fivefold higher than someone who doesn't achieve this. Is this good enough for us to say in adolescence, this is a sign that the drug is doing something? And I hope we do the same with obedocolic acid, which might be a little bit more challenging to use in a pediatric population, given the pruritus increase in LDL. But maybe for some advanced adolescents that have F3 fibrosis, we can look at improvement in um, liver stiffness, potentially also liver enzymes, and look maybe at a combination NITs to predict response from non-response. Again, developing these pediatric study plans, having these conversations is very timely. You cannot get an exemption from doing pediatric studies for a disease that exists in pediatrics. So, you know, there are diseases where you get an exemption like PBC. I mean, it's almost non-existing in a pediatric population. This would be a very exciting case report if you diagnose a 17-year-old with PBC. NAFLD is, is definitely a different story. And the last thing I want to say, as you said, Louise, you know, the liver sometimes is the first organ where you can show that the family and the child that this weight is actually harming you. We're not talking about how you look. Or it's more about, you know, your internal organs and the potential damage. And the liver is usually the, the first organ where you can demonstrate uh, the effects of obesity. So I think doing the fiber scan is always a good idea. The question is how you're going to intervene. If the intervention is a lifestyle recommendation that you can have the family follow, that's great. I mean, uh, there is no downside. If the intervention is a medicine, there is a little bit more burden on us to show benefits before we prescribe medications that could be potentially used for decades. Same thing with bariatric surgery. When it's indicated, I think it's life-saving for sure, but you have to be more selective and continue to generate data on long-term outcomes. When I was at the Cleveland Clinic, I was involved in a case with an eight-year-old who weighed 200 pounds. And basically the court decided to remove the child from his family and place him in foster care. And that was the first case in Ohio that I was aware of. Because, you know, in pediatrics, when you treat malnourished kids, you can actually say that, you know, this is neglect and they're not being fed and you can actually have the court involved. But that was the first case that the court got involved because of severe obesity to the point that they felt like this was child abuse. So 200 pounds at eight, probably we lost the battle with the simple lifestyle intervention. And as soon as he's in the adolescent age, maybe bariatric surgery is actually indicated. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions, surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another innovative and inspiring conversation. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.